literally chugging through this season. I know. I was so thinking fast. about that earlier. I was like, how many? I was. Like, I feel like I'm like lost in it. Like I don't we're even like know where right I am. in the thick of it. <laughs> yeah. So I was like, we must be close to done. I was like, oh, we have like a couple more weeks to go, but we're finishing up like around the holidays. Right. Yeah. Like and then we'll have like a Christmas break. Yes. Ep. Yes. Yeah. This has been such a fun season. I feel like I'm learning so much. This particular week, I did know a lot about this person. Oh, good. My daughter is named after this person. After this person. After really? this particular person. <laughs> I did. I was going to make a joke about that. Yeah. But no, I didn't know yeah. that that was real. Uh huh. Okay. I was like, I well, I wanted to give my daughter a name that could grow with her oh that's yeah yeah mm-hmm. and i was like that it's a name that like the nickname doesn't really stick you mm. always go back to the full name yeah. and then i was like what are, i like went and looked up like what are some like high caliber american like ritzy names mm-hmm. and of course caroline kennedy yes of course <laughs> so well it's funny because we both have the same kind of names but ours get nicknamed right you can like it's very hard to ever be able to go by Alexandra or Catherine. Right. It just doesn't really mm-hmm. work. Um, but yeah, Caroline, I've never, like, some, obviously. We call her Care. Care. Hey, but, Care, come here. But it's not. No, Caroline is what you go yeah, by. Yeah, no one ever refers to me as Catherine. <laughs> Except I'm Casey start. does sometimes. He goes, I'm Catherine. Gonna I'm going to start. <laughs> Jay calls me Alexandra when he's being condescending. <laughs> like, if I say something stupid, he'll go, Alexandra. <laughs> I'm like, Sorry whatever it is that's how that's how i know i'm being dumb yeah i should start doing that to casey casey lewis <laughs> first middle have you seen that giant jack-o'-lantern where he's like i am not a monster my name is lewis <laughs> oh. it is the funniest thing i've ever that's fucking a perfect seen in my life. thing for a jack-o'-lantern to be named <laughs> my name is lewis why lewis i don't know good headless horseman situation but it's a family name on both sides good. so i approve <laughs> good um, um but you're not here to talk about halloween that's over it's so in the past over <laughs> so over we're here to talk about herstory on the rocks with katie and Allie. This is a podcast where we talk about famous women in history. We talk about good women and bad women and fictional women and non-fictional women from all times and places because women have nuance. But keep in mind, we're drinking the entire time. And we're not historians. No. Not even close. Google? Yeah. We watch YouTube videos. We listen to podcasts. So we do very little original research. We're amateur (laughs) historians. Like if this was the Olympics from the 80s, we could go as historians. Yes. And we wouldn't even make it on the pedestal. No. No. (laughs) Not even close. We're idiots. We wouldn't even make it there. We would not get through the trials. No, we could trials. But we could go because we were amateurs. That was the point I was making. Yes, 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 yes. Perfect. Here we are. Um, But we love that you're here. We're lo- we love that you're about to go on this journey with us. Yeah, but you're looking up where you're, why your parents named you your name. <gasps> yes. Right now, you're online and you're like, wait, did my mom name me after a famous politician daughter? Mm-hmm. You're on babynames.com and yeah. now you're getting very distracted. And sure. we don't want to stop that journey for you. No. We don't want you to open up another web browser and Google what these women look like. <laughs> So we're going to describe them for you. We're going to get a little physical, physical. Allie, who are you doing and what does she look like? Obviously, I'm doing Caroline Kennedy. (laughs) And like before social media, she is the baby that has been photographed every day of her life. Forever. (laughs) We have every moment and step of Caroline Kennedy's life. Um, Classically, she has blonde hair and bluish gray eyes. Both her mother and father have very distinct looks. And Mm -hmm. I would say she's a pretty interesting blend between them but her face is shaped more like her dad's i think like jackie o has a very iconically square kind of face and Mm -hmm. hers um 
Caroline's is like more oval, okay, like her dad's was. Mm-hmm. Um, she has her mom's nose that has like a little bit of a hook. Uh-huh. Uh, we've seen her toddle around. We've seen her in business attire. We've seen her as a teen and like college student in the seventies. So like she's really spanned the gamut. But one thing I noticed about her is she's like always smiling in these pictures and for such a tragic life not that you have to (laughs) smile but not that you have to she specifically the way that she looks is like she's always looks bubbly and joyous Uh, which if I was her would be very hard yeah (laughs) I do um so that is what sweet sweet Caroline looks like perfect who's your person and what does she look like so I am doing Sarah Forbes Bonetta aka Omaba Aina um, Sarah is a dark-skinned Nigerian woman with a round face and wide-set eyes. Her hair is typically parted in the middle, and it is pulled back and covered with something that, like, could be a covering or kind of just like a headband of some kind. She is typically wearing gorgeous, full, like, Victorian gowns that have the long necklines, the high uh, or high necklines, long sleeves. Sleeves. That was like. With, the, with, like a cuff, <laughs> with like a cuff at the end. Yes. Um, and sometimes she's wearing a long beaded necklace or maybe holding something like fun, like a fan or standing next to a statue. How fun. But she is always in a beautifully staged location because the photos of her were taken by the hot celebrity photographer of the day because she was very famous. Wow. <laughs> okay. Wow. Nice. All right. So... What are we drinking? This is called Beyond Camelot. And what I did is I kind of mixed a Cuba Libre, because obviously her dad's like Cuban Missile Crisis shenanigans, Mm -hmm. with um, a twisted tea. Mm. So it has rum, coconut rum, Mm. twisted tea, Coke, lime juice, and a lime. But not a lot of lime juice. It's just like a very little bit. Cheers. Cheers. Hmm. Mm, wow. That's interesting. It's in a highball glass. You, I think I taste the twisted tea the most. Mm-hmm. There's almost two shots of rum in here, though. Coconut rum. I don't taste it at all. You know what it tastes like? The end of like a Coke Slurpee. Mm-hmm. Nice. That's what it tastes like to me. Very sweet. near the end. <laughs> and it's in a highball glass. I wanted it to look like, you know, you could just be sitting around at like a brunch with your little lime. And mm. I'm also imagining like, being at like a Kennedy tennis court in the exactly. Hamptons and sipping on one of these. Exactly. Yep. That was the goal. That's what I'm picturing. Okay. All right. What do I know about, about Caroline Kennedy? Kennedy? I honestly know nothing. Okay. I didn't even know where in the Kennedy she fell. Okay. Because there are just so many of them. There are. And I know about John John, which mm-hmm. is her brother, I John guess. John Jr., yes. John Jr., the brother. Mm-hmm. Okay. John Don. Um, because, like, honestly, I don't really know much about, like, the other Kennedy people. Right. So I don't know what order she's in. I don't know what she ended up doing. So I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I absolutely, like, I love her as a, a human. I think she's gone through. Well, there are a few people in this world today who have gone through as much personal tragedy mm-hmm. publicly than this yeah, woman. Yeah. Um, Caroline Kennedy. And I mean, to a lot of people, JFK, specifically like me and my kids, is ancient history. May as well be the Civil War. Right. You know? Yeah. It's so long ago, but it isn't. And she is like the custodian, the sole left custodian of the Kennedy family. Wow. Like she's it of the Camelot era. Weird. 
Yeah. It's That's very like wild weird. to think about. It is. So <laughs> I got, obviously I read Wikipedia. I watched her full biography, which was about an hour. She's a very private person, um, unfortunately for her. <laughs> so uh, it, it wasn't super long or invasive, but it gave a lot of great information. I watched a lot of YouTube documentaries, a lot of interviews with her that she's done galore because she represents her family in the public sphere very regularly. Yeah. So... Caroline Bouvier Kennedy was born on November 27th. <gasps> Happy so birthday, close. girl. Happy birthday, girl. <laughs> 1957, by C-section in an Upper East Side of Manhattan hospital. To John F. Kennedy, a senator from Massachusetts, and Jacqueline Lee Bouvier Kennedy. Jackie, as we covered in, I think, episode two or three, three it was early <laughs> episode three, I think, with Michelle Obama. Mm -hmm. Jackie had been really trying hard to get pregnant and had struggled with miscarriages and even had a stillborn earlier that year or the year earlier. Uh, we know that a lot of that was from her dad's promiscuity and uh -huh. like she had syphilis and then couldn't carry a baby to term, which was very hard. Her early life. Caroline's was a fairy tale. What a wonderful, glamorous, young politician couple. They were beautiful and America loved them. And honestly, Jackie and Jack or John loved being parents. Even um, JFK got in the car on the way back from the hospital and like didn't want anyone to like hold her or like put her in a car seat. So he just held her in his lap the whole way home, Aww. like wouldn't let anybody else touch her. He was enthralled by his baby girl. So she's Aww. the oldest Kennedy. She is. Okay. She's the oldest Kennedy. Um, he was delighted with her. Again, he's just like this young senator. But Jackie like didn't want Caroline to become a mascot of the public. Mm-hmm. But in January 1960, he announces that he's going to run for president. And one of his big things is he has a beautiful young family. Yeah. Well, it's so interesting because I feel like now we're in an era where, like, we really try and not bring kids into it. Like, I thought mm -hmm. it was really great of um, the Clinton's daughter to come and defend, you know, the Trump kid, Baron Trump, yeah. uh, Chelsea. And she was like, do not bring him into this. Right. And like, I think o Obama did it for Sarah Palin's kids. Like, yeah. please stop talking about their children. Yeah. Please. Which we actually just last night, the Republicans had their debate. And the one guy mentioned, I think it was like Nikki Haley's daughter. And she was like, do not bring my children in. Like, that's fucked up. Yeah. To bring an opponent's children You're into better. the debate. You're better than that. Like her, just for using TikTok too. Yeah. Teenage daughter. It's Sorry. Outrageous. Get so over it. anyways, I wish that there were more protections for like kids like the Kennedy Minors, kids yeah, because sure. I feel like they were a total free for all during this time. Yeah. And the, I mean, not the problem, but like the thing was like Caroline Kennedy looked like a Norman Rockwell painting. She had these little bubble bangs and mm -hmm. the short curled under blonde hair and she wore these little jumper dresses and like she looked like what you would see on the pages of a magazine. So mm -hmm. people were just obsessed obsessed with yeah. her added to the whole Camelot aura right exactly so her just to take it through Caroline's life and not her parents lives yeah. which is what I'm really <laughs> trying to do 
Her dad did beat Richard Nixon by a narrow margin to become the president of the United States. And Caroline moved into the White House at three years old. Three years old. Three years oh, old. Oh, my God. And she was the darling of the White House press corps. There was this press conference he was doing shortly before being sworn in where she stumbles into the room in her pajamas and Jackie's high heels. Oh. And, like, he has to, like, stop his interview and, like, walk her out. And, like, you can see it on tape. And it's just people ate it up do you think it was staged i don't think it was <laughs> like his kids like once they got into the white house the oval office was a playground yeah they mm -hmm. were allowed in and out of his office like mm -hmm. whenever they wanted i think they were actually pretty hands-on parents yeah so a lot of times they were stumbling into interviews and things and that's just how it was yeah because i mean for all of his failings he was a from a big Irish Catholic family where right. everybody's around you all the time, you know, yep. like, and that's just how it is. Mm -hmm. So two weeks after the election, John, John is born John jr. Um, he calls John senior JFK calls Caroline buttons. <laughs> they all loved each other so much. And as much as Jackie tried to keep the photo ops out of it, anytime there were pictures of him and his kids, his numbers would go up. Yeah. So it's like, why are you going to take away the one right? thing that's like really <laughs> helping me out? And people couldn't get enough of her, who was kind of shy and reserved, and her mischievous little brother. Yeah. Well, Crazy. it also makes her like even more endearing that like she's a little shy. Yeah. You know, because if she were thing. like, she's a reserved little girl. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Very cute. Caroline attended the kindergarten that her mother set up in the White House. She went to the classes and she was photographed on the lawn riding her pony named Macaroni. <laughs> this is not a lie. Oh this is gosh. not a lie. Macaroni. One so photo of her on this pony Macaroni <laughs> inspired a man named Neil Diamond. <laughs> To write a song called Sweet Caroline. No. <laughs> Allie, I'm changing your life. What? A fact that he told her when he sang it to her at her 50th birthday oh, party. No, she didn't know. She didn't know. She didn't know that the song was written about her. Yeah, I mean, he may have told her before, but he told the public <gasps> that it was written about her at her 50th birthday party and then serenaded her with this song. <laughs> Shut the fuck up, Neil Diamond. Okay. Okay. I've seen your impersonator and he told me no such thing. Yeah. <laughs> no such thing did he tell me. Wow. I did, that's really blowing my mind. I know. I love it. <laughs> so the White House at this time had about 65 staff members and the mood in the lighthouse, they say, was just delight. They would make the kids cakes and cookies and they would bring little treats to the kindergarten during the day. And like... The whole vibe of this big, crazy mansion was like poetry and literature and art for the kids to do. Um, and she was just the apple of the entire world's eye. I think the pony was given to her by LBJ. <laughs> and then she got a puppy from Khrushchev. <laughs> like, people in the world loved this little girl. I love that. There was a comic strip about her in the paper for a oh while. Oh, my gosh. I know. Shut up, Caroline. God. <laughs> But she was a remarkably unspoiled child, a bit remote, a bit shy. She was 
a little uncomfortable in front of the cameras, even something that lasted into adulthood. And I think part of it is she was too young to realize how privileged she was. Like, she was like, oh, every little kid gets on a private jet to go where they're going. You Mm -hmm. know, like, you don't know the difference. Mm -hmm. But her first little bit of tragedy happened when she was six years old. In August of 1963, her mother went into labor to have their third child, Patrick. But when Patrick was two days old, he passed away. And there's Caroline in the White House with her nanny wondering where her mom is and where is her new baby brother. Mm. So she would pick her mom wildflowers and visit Mm. her mom in the hospital. Um, And John was like too young, you know, John Jr. to really understand. But JFK, she says it's the only time in her life that she saw her dad cry. Obviously, her dad's not alive too much longer. Um, But that this was just so (sighs) devastating to lose a child at two days old. Yeah, that's horrible. Yeah. (sighs) After just having this beautiful young family that's so joyous in the White House. That November, just three months later, her parents had to go on a campaign trip to Texas. She goes to the airport and sees them off and kisses her mom and dad goodbye. Her nanny takes her home, and that is the last time she would see her dad. Caroline's father was assassinated on November 22nd, 1963, just days before her sixth birthday. Mm. Now, she was so excited because that night she was on the way to her friend's house for a sleepover. First ever sleepover. The Secret Service is in a car behind them. They're going to a sleepover. The mom driving the car hears, like, this blurb on the radio. Something, something shot in the head. His wife, Jackie. That's all she hears. She turns the radio off. Pulls. chills. I know. Oh, my gosh. Turns the radio off, pulls over. The Secret Service pulls over behind her. They discuss what to do. They take her and John Jr. to their grandmother's house. The grandmother... Um, is just like at her wits end, also mourning, also going crazy, not knowing what to do. So the nanny takes them home and she actually breaks the news to them that their dad has died. And later that causes a little bit of problems between Jackie and the nanny because she's like, why would you do that? Like before I could get there to comfort my kids. But I think a lot of people in the White House were like, somebody's got to tell him, somebody's got to tell him, somebody's got to tell him, oh, you do it. And I'm also sure, too, they were like, they don't want to tell her. Yeah. Like, Jackie's got too much on her. I'm sure, like, I honestly, I would have thought that. I would have been like, she has too much on her plate. Why don't we give the initial, which, who knows what the right thing to do in this situation right. is. Maybe ask. Definitely ask. <laughs> <laughs> De- definitely ask is what we're saying. Yeah. Um, oh, my gosh. I just. So tragic. You know, when you Six think. Six years old. Ugh. When you think about the JFK assassination, I rarely remember that like his kids had his kids were not with him Mm -hmm. they had they were back home in dc trying just like living their life and i always forget that jackie was three months postpartum yeah like a baby had just died she is in that car her stitches are still healing she is still losing baby weight she's just dealt with the loss of a child oh and now the loss of her husband directly in front of her face and like they were just on like a swing back because they were like really on the rocks right for a for while that, prob- that time in the white house so now they're like finally on like a little bit better of a swing and then this happens right oh my gosh poor caroline really oh. really distressing so the next time we see caroline in public is when jackie and caroline go up to her dad's coffin while he's laying in state they kneel in front of the coffin 
Jackie leans over and kisses the flag and Caroline takes her little like gloved hand and like pats it like reaches under the flag and like pats it and everybody in the nation's heart stopped just stopped dead watching this child Jackie is obviously sobbing and the entire time we see it on TV Caroline just keeps reaching up and holding her mom's hand and holding her mom's hand even in the background of the picture where John Jr. is like saluting his dad's coffin like as it goes by Caroline is just reaching up, gripping her mom's hand, like looking at her very stoic, very brave mom who's just bawling her eyes out. Mm. One of the my favorite kind of images of all history is, you know, Jackie walking behind Mm -hmm. the coffin. Like, I just think that that because she like they did not want her to do that. Yes. And she was like, no, I am going to do this like in her morning garb. Like she was just so dedicated to like holding everything together while she was absolutely falling apart right and I think like it is part of that the lasting legacy of like the stoic politician right because like um William you know William did that you Mm -hmm. know when Diana died like they walk the two kids William and Harry walked behind the hearse and Mm -hmm. it's like a very sad thing to watch Mm -hmm. like to it's like a I don't know it's very weird but I also understand like wanting to hold to that tradition yeah So John is definitely too young to remember a lot about this, but Caroline remembers. Um, And it really forever prevents her from really relating to the public. Like everybody talks about you when they introduce you as an interview as like the woman whose dad was assassinated, Caroline Kennedy. Like that's a really hard way to be introduced every time you go to speak in public. Yeah. So December 6th, two weeks later, Jackie takes Caroline and John Jr. two weeks and moves out of the White House. Mm. She goes, we got to be out of here by Christmas. I have to have my kids in a place where they can feel safe and loving before Christmas. Mm -hmm. But their family was practically a tourist attraction in D.C. People were climbing up ladders to, like, get pictures in their windows. Somebody had, like, grabbed Caroline in the street and started, like, (gasps) praying over her and, like, saying all these crazy things. And Caroline would get in the back of a car whenever she would go somewhere and be like, are they watching me? Are they watching me? She's six years old. Like she's a baby. But Bobby Kennedy really stepped up as the male figure. He assumed leadership of the family. He mourned with Jackie because the two of them were very close with JFK, obviously his brother and his wife. Um, And he really became the male leader for the kids. Shortly later that year, Jackie's like, we're moving to New York. This Washington DC stuff is not working. So they go to New York where they're less followed around because Mm -hmm. it's New York and there's a lot of rich, famous aristocrats. Caroline starts going to the Sacred Heart School, which is like a very elite school there that had like four generations of Kennedy girls that went there. And they traveled everywhere with their mom. When their mom went to christen a ship, they went and Caroline got to break the bottle (laughs) over the ship. Like when they went to other countries, when their mom went out to brunch, like they became a little three pack. Mm -hmm. That was very, very important. Um, They went to like Ireland with their mom and the paparazzi like surrounded them at one point. And Jackie called the like Ireland police and the Irish police started arresting anybody that would take pictures of them. They like stopped it dead in its tracks. Like, come on America. Yeah. Let's do something. Um, But Robert Kennedy just became such an important uncle in the life of Caroline and John Jr. And he stepped in to be a surrogate father. And he was already their godfather to his Mm -hmm. niece and nephew. But as we know, he stepped up 
to get nominated for president. At the Democratic National Convention, he gets approved to run for president. This is 1968. After he finishes his speech, Jackie turns off the TV, and moments later, he gets shot and killed. So we're losing our second father figure here. Now, Jackie feels like, okay, they're not killing politicians. They're not killing Democrats. They're killing Kennedys. My kids are the two biggest targets. Yeah. So that is when she uses the resources she has and makes a really big decision. Four months after Bobby is assassinated, she decides to marry Aristotle Onassis because it does two things. It gets her the money she needs and it gets her out of the country Mm -hmm. with her babies. So they move to Greece with Aristotle Onassis where we get the Jackie O to a Greek island where they are completely secluded and completely safe. Aristotle showers them with gifts. He gave Caroline a sailboat. He gives her another pony. Him and John become buddies. They go fishing. But Aristotle, Ari, they call him, and Caroline never bonded. Hmm. She was just so shy and untrusting of everyone that, like, they did what they had to do. Yeah. But she Mm -hmm. was, like, at a point where, like, I remember my dad. I remember my Uncle Bobby. And now you're, like, the third man in my life. And I just don't care. I can't have another father figure. Yeah. I totally understand that mindset. Yeah. I can't go through this again. Right. Mm. So the next year, Caroline's grandfather died. um, And Jackie wrote to Ted. Ted Kennedy saying, look, all the men in her life are dying you, you, Ted Kennedy, were not initially her godfather. Can you please step in and be her godfather now? And Ted Kennedy has that hanging up in his office, like that note from Jackie. Hmm. So he began going back and forth between D.C. and New York whenever he could to visit John Jr. and Caroline. Onassis spent most of his time in Greece, but provided security for Jackie and the kids while they were in New York. And then they would come on like spring break and over the summer to like his boat in Greece and he'd be like bring all your friends from Aww. New York like the kids really did love it he was a yeah. good stepfather mm-hmm. um she went to this exclusive high school away from her mom it was all girls she was an excellent student it was kind of like a boarding school mm-hmm. in New York in the mm-hmm. Upper East Side um excellent she was an excellent student top of her class most of the time she was sensitive she was an excellent writer she read light years above her reading level um she's 14 she wanted to be a photographer she's 14 she goes to europe on this like photography journey um around this time she visits the white house for an unveiling of a portrait of her dad for the first time since her dad died richard nixon invites her to the white house in late high school at this boarding school called um concord i think she ends up uh making a documentary about coal miners that gets released on PBS. Hmm. And it was like a project, not about big, fancy, rich people, but about the everyday working class, which yeah. is so very Kennedy. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. the, you know, the project that's worthy of the public. But her mom and Onassis's marriage is falling apart. Jackie is spending way too much money and their habits were just different. Jackie's an intellectual and Onassis wanted to like be at nightclubs and like throw liquor into the fire and yeah. smoke cigars, you know? <laughs> But the real breaking point was Onassis's son, Alexander, dies in a plane crash. Onassis is devastated. His younger daughter, um, I think Christina or Crystal, I can't remember, Christina maybe, is um, convinces her dad that Jackie's a curse. 
Jackie is a curse. Well. She's the reason Alexander <laughs> died. Blah, 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 blah. What a crazy take instead of like, you should really lean on Jackie right now yeah. because she knows how it fucking feels mm-hmm. to like keep losing family members. Right. <laughs> That's crazy. That's not the way to go. It isn't. But it never came to divorce because in 1975, Onassis passed away. Caroline returns to Greece from her school and once again stands by her mother's side at a funeral. There are so many pictures of these two women standing at funerals together. It is insane. And it's like you can track Caroline's life in height by the time the way she's standing next to her mom at funerals. In between high school and college, Caroline took a gap year in London with a photographer, and she stayed at Sir Hugh Fraser's house. He was a politician. He was in the parliament. He was kind of high profile. One of the benefits of being Kennedy is your parents know everybody. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So she could go have her gap year. She was learning about art history, and she went to this art auctioneering school um, while she was there. But one day, you know, she's inside. She's eating breakfast. She's with the... um parliament guy and there's an explosion out front somebody had put a car bomb the ira the irish resistance says something something put a car bomb in this politician's car now they were lucky that they weren't in the car yet and caroline wasn't the target but a man walking his dog by died and his Uh. dog like caroline kennedy could have died in that car bomb unreal like, that was the car she was driving to school that morning. That's crazy. I know. Or, like, her art history thing. Yeah. And her mom is, calls her, says, you are coming home. Yeah. She says, no. <gasps> and Caroline stays in London to complete that year in 1975, Good I for think. her. Yeah. I feel like at that point, you're just like, what else could happen? Right. Like- <laughs> it's like, honestly, is there a horror movie about me? <laughs> Wait. We do this every time right now. Yeah. Uh. Who requested this person? I forgot to ask you at the top. Meg K. Meg K. Meg requested K. this person. What a great. Thank you. Did you know just... my daughter was named Caroline? <laughs> we were just like at the height of the episode. I'm like, what an interesting person that we have yet to cover. Right. Who do we have to thank for the story? <laughs> Meg, thank you. Meg, thank you. Thank you, Meg K. <laughs> uh, perfect. Yeah. Thank you for breaking up that terrible bomb incident. With You're this welcome. Question. <laughs> I needed that. I needed, I needed that. I needed it. She loved art. So much. She wanted to be a historian, a photographer. She wanted to work. Um, she was actually a photographer assistant in the 1976 Winter Olympics in Austria. And cool. she worked for as a summer internship for the New York Daily News, earning $156 a week. She would get coffee for the editors and change the type ribbon and deliver messages. She was just being a normal girl. That's really interesting to hear that, yeah. like, she wasn't just like automatically like the with the boss. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. she was just doing the grunt work that every other intern would do. Right. And I think like it's what's interesting about her. Yeah. She didn't want the spotlight. She hated mm-hmm. being in front of the cameras. But the problem is like a lot of people were scared to get close to her. Yeah. Because like what's your intro statement? I'm sorry about your everything. Life? <laughs> your life is so tragic. <laughs> like, oh my God. You can't ask people why their dad's dead. <laughs> like, seriously, it's crazy. You can't just ask her about Chappaquiddick. <laughs> so it's 1980. She earns a bachelor's from Radcliffe College at Harvard University. She wanted, like I said, to be a photojournalist, but soon found out that you can't stand behind the camera when everyone's busy watching you. <sighs> and it was hard at school. People gave her a really wide berth because, again, what do you say 
to Caroline Kennedy, especially like all these people remembered her dad dying like this, the everybody. But she was a top scholar in art history and English lit and American history. You know, it's funny. I was just that really kind of struck me because it's like everyone at that time period really felt personally affected affected by it. And then you can't just be like, that really was hard for me yeah. <laughs> when your dad was assassinated. my life. That changed my life. My life. <laughs> <laughs> I remember exactly like, where I was when your dad was murdered. Yeah. But also or your like, uncle. It did or change like, people's yes. lives. It did really seriously affect people. But then like <laughs> it also obviously affected her way more than anyone else. Yeah. It's crazy. Bananas. I know. Oh it's very, it was very hard for people to strike up a conversation with her. Yeah. She did. She was romantically linked to several men. Like while she was in college, there was a guy named Mark Shand, who was a British travel like guy. Um, Jonathan Guinness of the Guinness family. Oh, she like dated like okay, okay. <laughs> but after graduating, Caroline was hired as a research assistant in film and television at the Met. Ooh. Um, and she worked there every day. But of course, they started getting like bomb threats and things Ugh. because she's Caroline Kennedy working at the, the Met. God damn it. And th- these people would get arrested, but that is her life as a Kennedy, that people are, quote, after you, even if it's just like a scare. But while working at the Met, she meets her future husband, the designer, Edwin Schlossberg. <laughs> Schlossberg uh, was surprising because he was older, 12 years older than her, and Jewish, which is weird for an Irish Catholic family. Mm-hmm. And he's not a politician. He's a very private man. Mm-hmm. And people did not expect this of Caroline of Camelot. Um, but they were both fiercely intelligent, and he was very protective of her. He wasn't into Caroline because she was a Kennedy. He was into Caroline because she was Caroline. Yeah. And Jackie saw that and loved him. Oh, that's like so nice super supportive and was yeah. like, this is great. It's a perfect woman. Also, JFK was 12 years older than her. So they just maybe like older <gasps> oh, men. Yeah. I don't know. Weird. Yeah. So in 1986, the two marry. Um, John and Jackie and Caroline are at the rehearsal dinner and John Jr. is giving a speech and he says, for the longest time, our family has been three and now we get to be four. (gasps) That's so cute. It's so cute because he lost his dad like before he can remember. He doesn't remember that they were a family of four. Mm -hmm. So to him, it's like this is the first. She had this beautiful dress with the bodice. The bodice was like covered with silk shamrocks (gasps) in... um, honor of her dad oh. it was a small wedding but it was a kennedy wedding yeah um, there were people <laughs> in trees taking pictures and caroline you know walks into the church from outside ted kennedy walked her down the aisle of course her cousin maria shriver was her matron of honor Unreal. it was a wedding of weddings oh. now sometimes oh did you look up the i'm bodice? looking up of course i'm looking oh, it up it's it was in, so in honor of her dad isn't that sweet i love it i do too oh, it's wow, so unique box yeah her husband i know i know okay. <laughs> also he kind of looks like phil rosenthal <laughs> <laughs> yeah okay <laughs> now um Sometimes people mistakenly call Caroline Kennedy, Caroline Kennedy Schlossberg, but she did not change her last name. Good for her. Good for her. (laughs) She had her mom's middle name, last name, and her dad's name. She's keeping it. Yeah. The two of them had three kids, Rose, Tatiana, and John. Is Rose named after Rosemary? 
Um, she's named after their grandmother, which Rosemary's also named after. Oh. So very close. We <laughs> Rosemary Kennedy. We love Rosemary this Kennedy. This is our here. third Kennedy on the show. Can you believe yes. it? Yes. Amazing. That was a sad. That was a. I bowled that episode. That we we cried a lot that episode. I cried this whole week doing research. It's like yeah. not as sad talking about it, but every time I saw this little girl like yeah. sitting at a funeral, I was like, I just can't. Mm-hmm. I just can't. They lived, her and her husband and her three kids live on the Upper East Side in New York. Um, she, as she's having all these kids, she's pregnant. She's in law school. Um, she tried to stay out of the limelight. But, of course, Kennedy covers make money on magazines. So here and there, she's getting threats. She's having the paparazzi follow her, mm-hmm. et cetera, et cetera. But they try to stay quiet. In 1988, two years after she got married, she got her law degree, her juror's doctor, and passed the bar wow. in New York. But as a young mother, she wanted to spend time with her kids. So as a freshly minted lawyer, she started to write books that became bestsellers about law and about legal policy and a lot of insightful books about abuses of privacy, Uh 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 which everybody wanted to read. Uh, to abuse her privacy. Yep. So, <laughs> um, but yeah, she just really handled the graceful demands of being a Kennedy and being a writer and being a juror's doctor and being a mother and a family woman all very well. Mm-hmm. She was a PTA mom who walked her kids to school and went to the bake sales. And she wasn't like Jackie. She didn't mm-hmm. show up all fancied up to intimidate people. Mm-hmm. She would show up without makeup and be yeah. like, here's the Rice Krispies I made last minute. Yep. But all that being said, Jackie was an excellent grandmother. Mm. She had the kids over all the time, and Jackie would tell them stories and poetry and art just like she did when Caroline was little. But early in 1994, Jackie wasn't feeling very well, and she thought it was a virus, so she went to the doctors, and Jackie Onassis, Kennedy Onassis, was diagnosed with non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, which is obviously a type of cancer. And at first, they thought there was hope, but... um, just a week later during another visit they were like there isn't hope you are going to die soon so jackie kennedy organized the last week of her life she said these are the people who are going to visit me in this order i'm going to have tea with all of them i'm going to write caroline a letter and john a letter of what i expect of you as a kennedy people went in and out of her apartment said hi did the thing said goodbye and that was it but this was very hard for Caroline. She was nonstop tears for those weeks. It was a shock to her. It like she was also sad like her kids wouldn't get to grow up with a grandmother. Yeah. Um and obviously like um Caroline and John Jr. were always very close, but they were especially close after their mom's death. They were best friends. They were very different, but they were mm-hmm. best friends all throughout their lives. Um and it was really sad looking at the footage of this because it just seemed like there was an empty space next to Caroline at the funeral. Mm. I was so used to yeah. looking at pictures of her standing with her mom and her mom was obviously the one passing away at this oh. time. But then a few years go by, she's momming, she's reading, yeah. she's writing and they're getting ready to travel to a family Kennedy wedding. Now, she can't go to this wedding because it's her husband's, like, 57th birthday or something, and she is also having her 13th wedding anniversary, and her whole family, the five of them, is going on this big trip to Idaho. So they go to Idaho um, instead of the wedding. Uh, Caroline had spoken to John earlier in the day. They're having, like, a great conversation. So John is like, okay, we're going to be the Kennedys from the Camelot Kennedy family that Uh go to this wedding. So John takes his wife, Carolyn, and Carolyn's sister on his private Uh plane to this wedding this is 1999 uh six years after her mother died and um the plane disappears from radar 
John is late to the wedding. Carolyn is late to, late to the wedding, his wife Carolyn. And they're like, nobody's heard from them. That's so freaking weird. So they call Caroline, and they're like, we can't find your brother. So her family leaves their vacation early and goes home to kind of wait for some news. People are glued to the television. Um, and they eventually find the remnants of the plane plummeting towards the sea. Uh, John Jr.'s body was found in the plane. Um, and Caroline is now alone. She is the sole surviving Camelot Kennedy. Oh, my God. And I, this just, like, it rocked her to her core. Yeah. She, like, is losing her best friend on a day that's supposed to be happy, just like her birthday was supposed to be happy when she lost her dad. All that's left is her Uncle Ted. Um, her dad died on her birthday? No, it, it was November oh. 22nd, and her birthday is the November 27th. Ugh. So, like, right, right before her birthday. Yeah. And then this is she's off celebrating her 13th wedding anniversary, <sighs> and her brother dies. Oh, like, my God. Like, how can you enjoy any, like, moments in and your also, life. like, just not normal deaths. Mm -hmm. Like, not, like, the only person who who died of something that mo is more common was Jackie. Right. And it's cancer. And, like, Onassis which, died which, of something normal. Yeah. And, it like, it still fucking sucks. Yeah. Like, cancer. Especially because, like, Jackie could have lived so much longer. Right. But, like, these are crazy tragic deaths they are horrific and everybody in the world they play it on tv constantly yeah. can you imagine not being able to watch the news because you know you're gonna see your loved one die over and over again mm. i hate it i hate it mm. um she didn't want to have a public memorial for her brother and you know she was just tired of being photographed at funerals, at funerals yeah. just exhausted by it so her brother was cremated and his remains were scattered in the atlantic ocean off the coast of martha vineyard Martha's Vineyard. Caroline does own her mother's 375-acre estate known as Redgate in Martha's Vineyard, and her net worth is somewhere around $100 million from family trusts, government, public authority bonds, commercial properties in New York, Chicago, Washington, and the Cayman Islands. Since the 1980s, she's been an attorney, a writer, an editor, and she's on the board of numerous nonprofits. I think she's written something like eight books at this point that are oh like gosh. all bestsellers. She supported Al Gore in the 2000 election because his dad had been a senator with her dad. Oh, wow. So, like, they knew each other from the yeah. time they were kids. Um, she did attend the 2000 Democratic National Convention in Los Angeles and spoke at it, which is crazy because the first time she was there, she was six and with her dad, or, like, three and with her dad. Yeah. And then her uncle got shot there. So, like, her going, I being asked to go and going is so brave Yeah, to mm -hmm. be out in public like that. Mm -hmm. From 20, uh, 2002 to 2004, she worked as the director for the New York City Department of Education, a job for which she accepted $1 a week, <laughs> and she helped raise $65 million for the oh public school system in New York because education is very important to the Kennedys. Her dad had written a book called Profiles in Courage, and she updated it. And every year, there is a Profile in Courage award given out. And she actually eventually won the award <laughs> of her dad's book. It's rigged. <laughs> she is uh, the president of the Kennedy Library Foundation and the advisor to the Harvard Institute of Politics. She's a member of the New York and Washington, D.C. Bar Association. She is in the NAACP. She is the Commission on Presidential Debates. 
that she's a commissioner mm-hmm. on presidential debates. I love that. She represented her family at the funeral services of Ronald Reagan, Gerald Ford, Lady Bird Johnson, and Barbara Bush. Mm. She represented her family at the dedication of the Bill Clinton Presidential Center and Park, and also at the George H.W. Bush Presidential Library and the 50th anniversary of the March on Washington. Mm. So when they need a Kennedy, she's the Kennedy. Yeah, there's no trading it off between her and John anymore. She does it. She supported both Obama and Hillary in their respective elections. She addressed the 2008 Democratic National Convention in Denver, introducing a tribute to her uncle, the Senator Ted Kennedy, who is alive. (laughs) In 2008, she considered a Senate seat run, but like it just wasn't her thing. And she ended up stopping for personal reasons. And as I said uh, earlier, she was never really involved in politics per se, but she does get involved in the government. She became the foreign ambassador of the United States to Japan. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Uh, And she was the first female U.S. ambassador to Japan where she met survivors of the atomic bombing of Hiroshima and she visited military bases and she christened another ship named after her dad. (laughs) Um, But she resigned from that ambassadorship when Trump was sworn in. What a statement. (laughs) What a statement. But when Joe Biden was sworn in, he re-put up, nominated Caroline for the U.S. ambassador to Australia. Mm. And the Senate immediately voted her back in. So she is now the um, U.S. ambassador to Australia. Oh, that's very cool. I think at this time, like I said, she's published eight books. And she's just pretty incredible. She's the last Kennedy and has this huge legacy And I think most people talk about her in the realm of her as his daughter. But I want to point out that later this month, November 22nd, will be 60 years Mm. since President Kennedy died because it was 1963. Um, And he didn't live to 60 years old. So she is JFK. She has been JFK longer than he was. Yeah. Because of the legacy that she's been carrying. Uh And I think that when we think about Caroline Kennedy, we think of her like the daughter of an assassinated politician. Mm -hmm. But she has been carrying her family legacy largely on her own for decades. Yeah. She is the Kennedys. She's the Kennedys. Uh, That's Caroline. I love that story. I just am so blown away by like her ability to keep going. Uh, with all Unreal. the smiles I talked about on the photos earlier, she never Unreal. looks pissed off. No. Unless she's crying at a funeral. Yeah. Other than that, she looks really happy most of the time. <sighs> well, what a great story. Thank you, Meg, for Honestly, suggesting that. A treat. Um, are you ready for our next story? I really am. All right. Let's do it. Let's. <laughs> Part two. Very actually, the just the two of this is going to be interesting. Okay. Because these stories are shockingly similar. I love that. (laughs) I'm very happy about that. Sometimes when they're very different, I get so worried. Yeah. But also, I think some of our best conversations come out of that because we like can't just rely on the uh, old reliables, you know. (laughs) They Um, were both white. Can you believe it? Wow. Uh, These women were both not white. Yeah. Um, Well, your woman. My woman is not white. Mm-hmm. Your woman is. Yes. <laughs> Very white. The whitest. <laughs> she is waspy white. 
All right. So do you know what do you want to know what you're drinking? Well, I guess I have to know. Yes, you do have to know. <laughs> Somebody has to tell me. So this is a take on a Kier Royale. It's called an Aina Royale. <laughs> and it is gin, creme de cassis, sweetened lime juice, cream of coconut, all mixed together, topped with rosé. Ooh, so fun. I'm sorry, sparkling rosé. We don't often use rosé. No. Love that. Delicious. I actually love it. I okay. I do love it. Mm. Okay. This turned out well. I was a little nervous. The bubbles were v- a very interesting texture on the top. <laughs> They're big. Um, big yeah, bubbles. I like was... big bubbles and I will not lie. <laughs> Cannot lie? Will not lie. Cannot lie. Cannot. Cannot. Won't not. Wow. And I will not. <laughs> Shan't lie. <laughs> um, but yeah, this is good, which is good because I feel like I've had like a couple stinkers this season. <laughs> couple stinkers. So what do you know about Sarah Forbes Bonetta? I don't know. Well, I did read her Wikipedia shortlist. Uh-huh. So I'm not going to spoil anything, but okay. I would have known absolutely nothing. Mm-hmm. I looked at her picture and what she was wearing and it didn't match up with the time period she was born. Mm-hmm. I was like, this is weird. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. So then I was like, I got to read it to see how long the story. Sometimes I like check your person to see like yeah. how long the story is going to be. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I really actually knew nothing about her until I read the uh, short list. OK, perfect. Tell me more. Tell me more. <laughs> so I got most of my research from Wikipedia, the English Heritage website, and um, the History Checks did a great episode on her. Um, so there are a couple like. You know, just things that appear in some stories, don't appear in others. You know, some are stated as solid facts in some stories, some are not. So I'm just going to go through the story and, again, blame other people if I got things wrong. Sure. Sarah Forbes Bonetta was born Omaba, sorry, Omoba, <laughs> Aina, in 1843 in Okeodan, an Igabo Yoruba village in West Africa, which had recently become independent from the Oyo Empire. So this is all taking place in like present day southwestern Nigeria. Sure. And if some of this sounds familiar, it's because we've already talked about this area in like of the Oyo Empire in our Dahomey Amazon Warriors episode. So the kingdom of Dahomey was under subjugation by Oyo. And this was like a historic enemy the, of the Yoruba people. So Oyo and Dahomey began to engage in a war in 1823 after King Gezo, the new king of the Dahomey, refused to pay annual tributes to Oyo. And we remember that from that episode. Yeah. It was a big deal. This, of course, led to years of conflict in the region. And, like, after, like, there had already been conflict, and then it was starting to resolve a little bit, and then this just, like, more ramped conflict. it up even more. Right. Um, so in 1848, Odan was invaded and captured by the army of Dahomey. Five-year-old Aina witnessed her parents beheaded her siblings disappear during the attack and watched while all the other residents of her village were either killed or sold into the Atlantic slave trade. Aina ended up in the court of King Gezo of Dahomey as a young child slave. And the belief was that she was from a high-ranking family, uh, possibly even like what we would label as a princess, um, because the first part of her name, Amoba, means child of a monarch. And she also had very specific scarification marks on her face that were said to have expressed her noble birth. But this only guaranteed her survival for the time being. So this is why she wasn't just killed immediately with everyone else because of her noble birth. She was a slave under King Gezo, and she was kept in a cage with other people who had been captured during the attack for the next two years. 
and the guards would taunt her about her greater purpose, which we will find out more about in a minute. Now, King Gezo became very wealthy uh, because of the Atlantic slave trade. He would go in with his army, capture people, and sell, sell, them. sell them into the Atlantic slave trade. And when Great Britain abolished slavery in 1833, he was not happy because that was a source of revenue. <laughs> right, of course. Yeah, one of the big buyers. Um, and also, they didn't just want to be like, okay, like, we're not going to take part in this anymore. Like, Great Britain wanted other people to, like, stop as well. So Queen Victoria sent Captain Frederick E. Forbes of the Royal Navy to try and negotiate with him to stop capturing and selling slaves. And they're like, why don't we just open up a new line of trade like palm oil or something like that? And I, I at first was like a little skeptical of this. I was like, is there like, because it's like, they're just like switching around like all of a sudden, like, no, you can't do this anymore, even though like we just stopped. Right. <laughs> so I'm sure there's like, a lot more going on under the surface and like a part of me is like are they mad because like other countries are still participating still in this? benefiting so, like, from still this. making yeah. lots of money like is that also part of this i don't know but the negotiations negotiations really didn't go anywhere because king goes it was like why in the world would i stop this i'm making so much money right um yeah western europe was like early to the punch to yeah. get rid of sla to abolish slavery mm -hmm. very early to the punch yeah um, but as was custom, Forbes and Gezo traded gifts when they met as a sign of respect. I don't know what Forbes gave him, but King Gezo offered Forbes a footstool, rich cloth, a keg of rum, 10 heads of cowrie shells, and a seven-year-old girl named Aina. Ooh. Forbes accepted the gifts and was happy to accept the young girl because if he had not taken her, she was reportedly in line to be sacrificed. Mass human sacrifice was common for the Dahomeys, and she was a valuable candidate because of her noble birth. She would have been a really uh, seen as like a good person to sacrifice. Right. Because it would have been very pleasing. Really pleased the gods. Mm -hmm. So thankfully, she ended up being spared because of Captain Forbes. Or like, so the story goes, you know, and again, some of this comes, it, this all, not most of it, this all comes from his personal diary. Right. So it's kind of, there's one story in it where he's like she was literally on her way into the pit where she was going to be sacrificed and she's being carried in like a white basket and he asked to have her as a gift so the stories on this are a little murky. funny they're a little murky and i also again we have to look at this with a little bit of skepticism of like was he actually interpreting this correctly or was it viewed with like a tinge of racism and we don't have anything from him from her Saying what so happened. she's like obviously only seven so At she does time. remember okay. a lot like she remembers her parents being beheaded she remembers seeing all of this um and so i but i didn't know what we had of hers and also you know? at seven whatever stories your savior tells you right you're gonna start to retell exactly yeah okay so he adopts her um, she is quickly baptized, renamed Sarah Forbes Bonetta after himself and his ship, the HMS Bonetta. <laughs> Tell me in my ship. Yeah. Forbes initially intended to raise her himself, but he wrote a letter to Queen Victoria about the young girl. He said she is a perfect genius. She now speaks English well. She has a great talent for music. She is far in advance of any white child of her age in aptness of learning and strength of mind and affection. Now, this letter was also full of some very misguided racist sentiments as well. So rather than taking the message of like, wow, you know, this little girl is really showing me that like these people we've been enslaving all over the world and sending all over the world are actually intelligent people. Like maybe we shouldn't have done that. He took it more as, wow, 
she's smart because she's been taken into the loving arms of a white family. Mm. <laughs> we could use her as an example of why we need to civilize these African tribes. Let's so go like, save some more yeah, people so with our <laughs> smart whiteness. <laughs> it's like so hard because like it is a good like parts of it are good and parts of it are not good. And also like it's not like he raided her village like someone else did that. So it's very not great. Well, the whole thing is just misguided racial speak of the time. Yes. Like the history of the racial colonial imperialism of the world. Yes. Mm-hmm. So the letter reached Queen Victoria and she was so impressed by the young princess's exceptional intelligence. And she took her in, was like, she's my goddaughter now. And sometimes she would refer to her affectionately as Sally. <laughs> Sally! Sally! <laughs> Victoria was like, I'm going to pay for her education. I'm going to take, like, financial, personal responsibility for her. Right. So now she's in, like, a weird position because she's not exactly a member of the royal family, but she was a part of the royal household, but not as, like, a staff member. She's just kind of like a, a ward of the house. I don't know how else to put it. Victoria would get, but she also didn't live there. I need to make that clear. She lived with other families. So at first she lived with um, Captain Forbes and his his wife, the Royal Navy guy. Got it. Um, But Victoria was so invested in her. She would get constant updates on her. She would request that she would appear at the palace so they could catch up. And when she would visit, she would play with Princess Alice because the two were the same age and they could be seen around the grounds with the other princes and princesses and other members, like children, like other like royal court members, children's just like mm-hmm. around the grounds, riding in the royal pony cart. Like they all became really friendly with each other. It was it's really like, cute. This is a princess from another place. Now yeah. she's here. Mm-hmm. She's one of us. Like yep. she's a royal. Exactly. Like they really did from my research, tried to treat her like the same as the other kids, royal kids. But after a few short years, she developed a persistent cough. It seemed that the cold English climate and the close contact with all these new children was not actually suiting her health. Sarah was treated by the queen's personal doctor, and he suggested that she recuperate in a more familiar climate. So she was sent to the Annie Walsh Memorial School in Freetown, Sierra Leone. In the school register, her name appears only as Sally Bonetta, people number 24. But she must have still been favored by the queen because she still kept in touch with her and always sent her presents and books. She made sure that she was allowed special privileges. So rather than the uniform, she wore fashionable English clothes sent by the queen. And rather than live in the dormitory, she had her own private suite. And she even got to host a tea party in honor of the queen's birthday for all of her schoolmates, all on the royal dime. Okay. Yeah. So it's kind of hard because you're like, is this making her feel less like the other kids like is this a it's like is it a good thing or is it a bad thing that's the whole question of her entire story it's like is it a good thing that she's not in the dorms with the other kids and dressing differently and like having all this money or like did it help her make friends I don't I just don't know right but eventually Sarah did want to come back to England and Queen Victoria wanted her back here as well so when she was 12 she was sent to Kent to receive her education in the household of Reverend James Schoen and his wife, Elizabeth, in a place called Palm Cottage. Because um, at this point, Captain Forbes had died. Um, so Reverend James Schoen was a famed missionary. And there was this idea that if Sarah was trained as a missionary, like she could be a great asset to spreading Christianity across the African continent. So kind of like what we were talking about earlier, like she could be the test subject. She could be like 
are ambassador of like Christian what your life morals. could be like if you just <laughs> gave up your pagan ways. Just you know? do what we do. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so this couple had a few children about Sarah's age, and Sarah became really close with the Shones, even calling Elizabeth Mama. Queen Victoria was still worried about her being warm enough, though, so she <laughs> hired a man whose sole job it was to make sure there was a fire in her room at all times. Okay, like, people can adjust. Yeah. Like, yes, it's fucking cold. I'd be more, I guess they don't know as much about germ theory, but, like, I would be much more worried about, like, her coming into contact with germs that she has not been in contact with before. Yeah. That was the problem with the call. That was the problem with the call. Yeah. yeah. Not exactly the, um, the weather. <laughs> right. Um... So now that Sarah was back in Great Britain, she was more present at royal functions. She was invited to family weddings. She was invited to mourn with the royal family when Prince Albert died in 1861. She was wearing black with her, like she was asked to. Like she was involved in every family event. In 1862, she was invited to the wedding of Princess Alice, her childhood friend, to Louis IV, Grand Duke of Hesse. This particular couple would, of course, a few generations later, end up with Prince Philip, the Duke of Edinburgh. Yes. Edinburgh? Edinburgh. Edinburgh? Edinburgh? I think Edinburgh. Okay. No, maybe Edinburgh. Edinburgh. Edinburgh sounds writer, more correct. Sounds writer. Sounds writer to sounds me. Right. <laughs> you know what? That sounds writer. <laughs> um, so, yeah. So, it's just interesting, too, that, like, Prince Alice ends up with Prince Philip. Princess Alice. Okay. So, that same year. Sarah found herself engaged to Captain James Penson Labulo Davies. Captain Davies was a Nigerian businessman, merchant sailor, naval officer, farmer, pioneer, industrialist, statesman, and philanthropist. He had a lot going on. But he was 34, and she was 19. <laughs> Older men, baby! Apparently, they had met at the school in Sierra Leone, but Sarah didn't really remember him because she was 12. <laughs> He was an older man. Wowza. But after his first wife passed away, he wrote a letter to Queen Victoria asking if he could marry Sarah. So it kind of sounds like he remembered because like they would call her the little princess at this school. He's like, all right, well, my wife is dead, but I know that Queen Victoria has like this black goddaughter. Like maybe I could just marry her. That's his key into the family way. Yeah, I okay. think so. I think he was like, I don't know. It, very interesting. Uh, and the thing is, Sarah was not super interested in this marriage. <laughs> and she had this to say in a letter to Elizabeth Schoen. Others would say, he is a good man. And though you don't care about him now, you will soon learn to love him. That, I believe, I could never do. I know that the generality of people would say he is rich and you're marrying him would at once make you independent. And I say, am I to barter my peace of mind for money? No, never. But Queen Victoria approved of the match, and she was like, I think this is good for you. So she really wanted this to happen. But Sarah was refusing. Wow. She was like, I don't want to do this. Like, who says no to Queen Victoria? Apparently no, Sarah. <laughs> not a soul, except for Sarah. So the queen was not used to being told no. So she ended up using kind of a fucked up tactic uh, with Sarah to make her kind of marry this guy. She was like, all right, well, if you're not going to marry this guy, then like you have to move out of the Shones house. Like you can't live there anymore. And if you're not going to get married and you're just going to be like a spinster, I'm going to move you in to what was it? Brighton. I think it was. Yeah. Brighton. 
and you're going to be a lady's companion to these two old batty women. It's like a kick you to the curb situation. Yeah. So after all of this, after all that Queen Victoria has done for her, she says no once. And now she is literally like out in the middle. Of, I don't know where Brighton is, but to Sarah, it felt like the middle of nowhere with these women she did not know being a lady's helper. I mean, to be fair, this is what happens to everybody in the royal family. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like to this day. Right. So it was kind of just like this this way of them being like, do you see what your life would be like if you don't marry this guy and like do kind of what you're told? Like, so Yikes. this went on for months. Sarah was kind of devastated. She felt really abandoned by this person who was supposed to be her protector. Um, and all because she didn't want to marry this old strange man. But the pressure soon got to her and she agreed to marry Captain Davies. The two were wed at St. Nicholas Church in Brighton, East Sussex on August 14th, 1862. And she was given away by Captain Forbes' brother since, you know, the man who had brought her to England all those years ago had since passed. Now, this wedding was like a scene out of Bridgerton. No expense was spared. Ooh. It was a lavish affair with 10 horse-drawn carriages and 16 bridesmaids. The wedding party was made up of white women with African men, African women with white men, like the bridal party was totally mixed like again i did not think that anything like that would have happened outside of bridgerton right like i did not think that that was real the bishop of sierra leone officiated the ceremony and large crowds gathered to witness the union because sarah was rather famous in her time because she was an anomaly they were like why is the queen so invested in this young black woman right people just like didn't get it so they wanted to get it they wanted to look at her they wanted to see photos from her wedding so sarah and james did have a series of photographs taken by camille sylvie the celebrity photographer of the day and this really underlined their status in society Mm. like this was a big deal uh the queen herself is said to have commissioned these portraits because she wanted to remember the wedding soon after the wedding The newlyweds moved to Sierra Leone, where Sarah became a teacher at the school that she used to attend. And even though she was unhappy with her situation at the start, she soon grew to love her life in Sierra Leone, and she did begin to care for her husband. They welcomed their first daughter in 1863, named her Victoria. The queen asked if she could be the godmother. (laughs) Of course. Of course you can. Uh, And then the family moved to Lagos in Nigeria, where Queen Victoria sent an order that if there was any unrest, Sarah and her family were to be evacuated immediately. Like, after all these years, she is, she is, obviously the marriage thing was kind of fucked up, but like she is, she does really care about her and her safety. Sure. Sarah and James had two more children, Arthur and Stella. But by the late 1860s, Sarah was suffering from tuberculosis, for which, of course, there was no real cure for at the time. TB, baby. And to make matters worse, James was in the midst of some financial difficulties. She eventually traveled to Madeira, Madeira, a Portuguese island, hoping that its temperate climate would help with the condition. But she died there on August 15th, 1880, at the age of 37. No, she's so young. So young. Her daughter, Victoria, who was 17 at the time, was distraught at the... 17, does that make sense? Yes, it does. Yeah. What? Wait, 37 minus 17, isn't that 10? Or is it 20? It's 20. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm an idiot. My I'm, like, God. I'm 37. 
And Caroline's 13. Yeah. So she would have had a kid maybe a little bit younger than me. Yeah. Which is, makes sense because she was married pretty young. Right. Yeah. Okay. Here we are. Woo! <laughs> Sorry. I was like, does that math make sense? Um, okay. So her daughter's 17. She is distraught at the loss of her mother. And she was actually on her way to visit her godmother, Queen Victoria, at the time. And the, the queen recorded that, quote, my black godchild was dreadfully upset and distressed. Her father has failed in business, which aggravated her poor mother's illness. I shall give her an annuity. So an annuity, if you don't know, is a fixed sum of money that a person gets typically annually for the rest of their life. So she paid personally for young Victoria to live a comfortable life and also paid for her to be educated at Cheltenham Ladies College. The two stayed in touch for the rest of Queen Victoria's life. This is crazy. I know. In Sarah's memory, her husband, Captain Davies, erected an over eight foot granite obelisk shaped monument in Western Lagos. The inscription reads, in memory of Princess Sarah Forbes Bonetta, wife of the Honorable J.P.L. Davies, who departed this life at Madeira, August 15th, 1880, aged 37 years. But over the years, the story of Queen Victoria's Nigerian protege has largely been forgotten. Even her great-grandchildren, who are still out there, <laughs> didn't really believe the family stories of how they were connected to the royal family. But people are trying to rectify that situation. In 2016, a plaque commemorating Sarah was placed on Palm Cottage, the house where she lived with the Schoen family. In 2017, she was portrayed by actress Zari Angel Hayter uh, in the series Victoria. And a newly commissioned portrait of Sarah by the artist Hannah Uzor went on display at Osborne House on the Isle of Wight in October 2020 as part of an effort by English Heritage to recognize black history in England. Have you watched Victoria? No, but I kind of want to now. It looks like it's done really well. It's so good. Really? What's I it on? love it. It's on, I want to say, Prime Video. Oh, perfect. Yeah. yeah I um, producer and I watched it. We yeah. loved it. I don't it think we made really it good. all the way through, but we really, really, really liked it. Obviously, it's an over-dramatization. Right. Uh, and, like, the woman who plays Queen Victoria is the most beautiful, like, person on the planet. And mm -hmm. you're like, Queen Victoria, like, kind of looks like that. <laughs> but it is. It's such a good, good show. I really yeah. like it. Enjoyable. Um, and then in 2021, her life and story formed the basis for the novel Breaking the Moffa Chain by Annie Domingo. I wish we knew more about Sarah and what she was thinking during this time. But I am glad that we are slowly but surely getting more glimpses into her life the more people care about digging into her life. Sure. <laughs> um, I think when we look back at the quick summary of her life, it can kind of feel like she was just a little project of Queen Victoria's that she could check back in with like at her leisure but I think when you really look at her life and read her letters and the accounts of people close to her the full person comes into view this girl who was making friends in all these new places who stood up for herself when she didn't want to be married and the girl who probably felt lonely a lot in her life but made the best of it and she's still making an impact on people today who feel like they are less represented in our recorded history and that is the story of sarah forbes bonetta that is such a beautiful <laughs> story i know she's so interesting and like 
I don't know. I it kind of makes me sad that she's like more so like a poster child kind of figure now. And like I, again, like I it w- seemed so different though. Like so when I read the shortlist on Wikipedia and it was like she was Queen Victoria's godchild, I was like, wait, what? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was very confused. I was very excited to learn the story. And yeah, you're right. She is kind of used more like a poster child instead of like she was a dear member of the family. Yeah, mm-hmm. like a lot of people have close family friends that are in and out at vacations yeah. and funerals and events mm-hmm. where like you really care for that person. Yeah. So now we need to talk about these two ladies together in a little segment we like to call Just the Two of Us. Okay. I mean, both of them just saw their families die. Yeah. At all a around. very like, young age. Very young a age. very young age. Your parents, I mean, beheaded and being shot in the head are I so know. very similar. Well, and they were both politically murdered. Yes. Like that yes. neither of their father's assassinations were accidental or whatever they were politically murdered and it's interesting that she's first daughter uh-huh. and her name literally means daughter of a monarch mm-hmm. you know child of a monarch which yeah. i think is so fascinating yeah i mean caroline means small but mighty and i think that also applies to <gasps> yeah. both of them or tiny but fierce small but mighty depends on your translation but mm-hmm. like yeah that's also really like close closely related to both girls i i also think the idea that they're very very wise very yeah. smart smart mm-hmm. ac- educationally accomplished children yeah well because i think both of them had tragedy happen like right around the same time i mean caroline is six when her father's assassinated Aina was five when um she was you know her father her parents were assassinated and she's sold into or like captured and put into slavery and then seven when she gets adopted so like by seven and six, they have already experienced, like, the worst that this world has to offer. Yeah. <laughs> and yet they spent their entire lives in gilded cages. Yes. It was like, regardless of the fact that you're experiencing the worst of the worst, everybody wants to look at you. Everybody wants a piece of you. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think that there's this, um, there's a falsehood that we like to believe, where if you are a part of a wealthy political family, like, be like, oh, you're so lucky. Like, you have so much money. You must have all this control in your life. And there, I just don't think that that's true. Like, right. obviously, Sarah didn't even have control over who she wanted to marry. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Caroline doesn't really have a whole lot of control as to what she can do. Because anytime she started a job, there were bomb threats. Yeah. And everywhere she goes, like... Paparazzi. There's paparazzi. paparazzi. Yeah. And, like, she... I don't think either of these women could live a normal life. And so it kind of begs the question of, like... Would they have chosen this? Right. And it's also they had these big overshadowing powerful women that loom. Like Jackie O and Queen Victoria are like these powerful, powerful women in two very powerful nations. Yeah. And you are burdened with living up to that, with showing up when they say to show up, with Mm -hmm. coming to funerals you're supposed to go to, Mm -hmm. with being a part of the family Mm -hmm. when sometimes you just don't want to do that. Yeah. Well, and then you... But I think one of the ways they differ is that Caroline Kennedy, obviously, we were talking about she looks the Norman Rockwell painting of a ch- an American child. child. Sure. Sarah looks anything but. Anything but British. <laughs> so Caroline does have that little extra benefit of like, yes, she is very recognizable. People know who she is when she walks into a room. But no one questions why is she here. Yeah. And I think that Sarah was probably questioned a lot. Sure. Of like, 
I wonder how many times she was in a room and someone was like, oh, can you get me another drink? Mm -hmm. Or like, can you do this for me? And she's like, I'm not staff. I am a family member. Like how many, that never happens to Caroline Kennedy. (laughs) Right. And I mean, of all the um, things that are the same for women and for women in power, Mm a hundred years separated the two when they had to get married. And Caroline had her (laughs) choice. She could marry a Jewish man Mm -hmm. that she fell in love with. She didn't have to marry the, you know, the heir politician, you know, the the Biden son or whatever. Yeah. Like she could choose who she wanted. And um, Sarah didn't have that choice. Yeah. Because yeah. 100 years. Yeah. is all it took. Yeah. Well, I also, both of their stories also beg the question of like, what could have been? Because I think sometimes Sarah was just like, why couldn't I have just, like obviously like she had a lot of privilege, you know, towards the end, but like, you know, in the middle of her life. But, I wonder sometimes if she was like, why couldn't my family have just stayed intact and I could have stayed with my family in my home country, you know, and I think that Caroline probably thinks that sometimes too, like what would have happened if my dad hadn't have been assassinated? How would my life had turned out? Like, Mm -hmm. how would I, my life have turned out if I wasn't labeled as just this one thing, which I think Sarah had too. It's like, you think of Sarah Forrest Bonetta and you think Queen Victoria, you think Caroline and you think. JFK and Jackie Jackie. you know and it's like like you're saying with the them living in the shadows of of these great women it's like I think they did their best in making themselves individuals but also like neither of them are particularly keen on the limelight Mm -mm. so (laughs) yeah so I think it makes it even harder to like stand out and forge your own path but I mean I think they both did that pretty beautifully you know and just being like I am still going to be my own person even though I am tied to these I mean, great figures of history. Yeah. And I think some of it has to do with just traveling the world when you're young. Yeah. Like, I think Jackie was in Washington, D.C., and she was in New York, and she Mm -hmm. was in Boston, and she was in Greece with the Onassis family, and she Mm -hmm. was in London learning how to be a photographer. And I think Sarah did a similar thing. She was in Nigeria. She Mm -hmm. was in Sierra Leone. She was in Britain. She was in several places in Britain. You know, like, Mm -hmm. it's some of that, the great, like, stoicness that you confront the world with comes Mm -hmm. from just understanding that people are different in different places. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, both of these people, it's like, was their life a fairy tale or was it a tragedy? It was, but they were both both. Both. (laughs) We can say that for sure. Like, there's no question. It is just, both of their stories are a wild combination of the two. Yeah. Mm. No question. All right. Who are you going to toast? Are you ready for toast? I am. All right. I am. Who would you like to toast? I want to toast everybody who feels like you're holding down the fort uh, for your yes. family, for your job, yeah. for whatever it is that like you are the one that is like showing up and doing it, even mm-hmm. though it's like a legacy of an entire group of people. Yeah. Thank Agreed. you. Thank Cheers. you for holding down the fort. <laughs> mm. And you? I'm going to toast the women who keep being told over and over again that they are so lucky. (laughs) Um, Yes, Sarah was lucky in a sense that, you know, she potentially got saved from human sacrifice. Absolutely. Yeah. But she was also very unlucky in the sense that her parents were murdered in front of her eyes. Right. And forced into marriage. I just, I want her to feel like she can be fucking angry at that while also feeling grateful for like having the royal purse also at her disposal with her tea parties you know uh sometimes you might not feel so lucky 
even though people keep telling you you are. Yeah, sure. <laughs> Cheers. Cheers. Like, I'm glad, Caroline, that you have a Martha's Vineyard mansion mm-hmm. <laughs> after all of this. All mm. right. Now, what are you enjoying in pop culture this week? So there's a whole new season of Ancient Aliens. <laughs> and let that me- show is crazy. <laughs> it's and, like, so racist. So racist. So wrong. <laughs> it's everything that white people didn't oh make. God. Aliens. <laughs> aliens, I tell you. Now, we put it on to fall asleep at night, so I never okay. wa- I've never watched a full episode. <laughs> but that's not what I'm promoing. Oh, I'm okay. I'm promoing the guy from Ancient Aliens. The guy with the crazy hair? The guy with the crazy hair. Okay. His name's Giorgio. <laughs> I love him. Of course it is. <laughs> and I'm proud of him. Why? Because he <laughs> went. like he's doing harm in the world. No, he is. He is absolutely doing harm. But <laughs> he went from being on this show to being like the face of this show. <laughs> Just from sheer grit and crazy hair. <laughs> I can't. Katie. <laughs> The show is bananas. It's, it's cr- I've never seen an episode, but it's I, bananas. I, I've seen like like clips, clips of it. You know, I, <laughs> I mean, the bigger question they're asking is how are humans also similar? Is the real question because they'll okay. be like, there's this picture of this god carved into this rock over here, and this picture of this god carved into this rock over here. Why do they look so similar mm. if these people never met? Mm-hmm. So it's like now that, that is an interesting question. That is the overarching. Now they say it's aliens, but, <laughs> but I like I like the overarching like things that they're showing that are so similar amongst people. Now that would be interesting. That's why to I see. keep going back. Okay. I like okay. to see that, and then I'm like, <laughs> obviously it's not aliens. Yeah, it's not. <laughs> Which I do believe that there is life out there. Yes. I don't believe that they have been to Earth. <laughs> no, I yeah I don't think so either. Um, but I do think they're out there. Yeah. For sure. Mm. There's just I too much of a saw... big mathematic problem I for do... there not to be. I think I... So have you heard of alien greys? No. I think I saw them walking on my street the other day. Oh, my God. Perfect. So they're like these alien creatures that are like tall and thin and they like kind of look human, but they're like kind of gray and they uh-huh. like wear these black suits. Crazy. I swear. There was a strange man walking down my street the other day. So you do think you aliens have a made it to Earth. <laughs> He looked like a gray, like he was tall and lanky and like very gray looking. Like yeah. his skin didn't look like it, it looked gray. And like I ne- and he was in a full suit, which is weird for my we neighborhood. Ne- never seen him before. And sure. my street is off the beaten path a little bit. Yeah, like, it's you have not to, right off of Hartford Road. No, like mm. if you were walking on Hamilton Avenue, you would not think turns. twice about you it. Do a couple turns to get there. But on my street, like. Yeah. It's a little tucked away. Yeah. I was. And then we rounded the corner to get a parking spot. Gone. Don't know where he went. And he. I was like. there. It, the amount of time it took us to go around the block. He couldn't have walked that fast. Sure. Off. Where did he go? Disappeared. Disappeared. Watch Ancient Aliens. Anyways, maybe they'll talk about it. In Hamilton. <laughs> Why is this man here? And this man also in Tokyo. Who knows? <laughs> Who knows? So. This week, I am promoting a musical artist that I just found. Her name is Sierra Therrell, uh, and she has an album, Long Time Coming. She is of this new, like, modern honky-tonk country kind of music era, and I love her. It's kind of like that rockabilly sound mm. that it, it's just really fun. And her song, like, this album is so good. I've been listening to it a lot this week. She has a really fun, like, onstage persona, from what I gather on Instagram, where, like, sometimes she dresses up, like, in like Cirque du Soleil outfits like sometimes she looks like Dolly Parton mm. like 
very cool. So, but her music is really great. So Sierra Farrell. Love it. All right. Perfect. Thank you guys for hanging out with us. Stay with us as long as you want. But this episode's over. So you have to go back and find other ones. But there are thousands of hours of our voices Mm -hmm. recorded for all of human history for the rest of our lives. Yeah. But if you'd like some more right now, you can join our Patreon. (laughs) For as little as a dollar a month, you can help us buy alcohol. Exactly. Help us buy alcohol. Listen to us talk about our personal lives. Trust me, it gets weirder and more personal than it does on this show already. (laughs) Um, But if you don't want to join Patreon, you can at least write us a little review on Apple Podcasts. And that's free. It's totally free. Just spend, like, take 20 minutes and do it for all your favorite shows. Please Real quick. it. It just, it really helps so much. And you can just write a simple, like, good job or hello just as long as it's five stars or maybe like four and above um <laughs> i'll take a, i'll take a three i don't mind an average rating see C's get degrees katie it's fine but in between episodes just know that we love you no matter what you decide to do with your day yeah and we hope that you're well and we want you to never forget that well-behaved women behave in political dynasties <laughs> yes and they rarely make history <laughs> goodbye <laughs> You've been listening to Her Story on the Rocks. We are independently produced by 1986 Entertainment and proudly recorded in Baltimore, Maryland. If there's a woman in history you would like us to cover, you can email us at herstoryontherocks at gmail.com. You can also message us on Twitter or Instagram. We post all of our cocktail recipes on Tuesdays so that you can go get all the supplies you need and drink along with us. See you next week. Bye.